Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Dirt Nap City, the show about interesting dead people. I'm here with my friend Kelly. How you doing, Kelly? Oh, man, I'm doing well. I just had a little bit of a technology fail. You know, you were there. You saw it. Uh, but we got it all sorted. And so now I'm doing a lot better. That's great to hear. Hey, man, I got a good uh, good app today lined up for you. I'm excited. I'm excited. And, and you know, uh, everyone should just know Alex and I just spent a little time hanging out together. And all we did besides uh, have a good time was strategize on this show because we said, what do our listeners want? I think they want more Alex and less Kelly. That was my theory. <laughs> is that is that what we decided? No, I uh, I think we uh, we came to some good conclusions about what people want. We we disagree a little bit about what people want. True. Um, so so if you if you know what you want, email us at not at dirtnap city and just tell us what you want. That's that's all we really want to know is what do you want. But remember, we don't take requests. Yeah. No, we don't want to know what you want. We want to know what you want. It's different. Right. We don't want to know who you want us to talk about. We want to know what you want from us, but not not who you want to talk about. Hashtag goals. Squad goals. Squad goals. Yeah. So what do you got going today, Alex? Tell tell me a little bit about this person. Okay. Well, I've got a person today that um, that uh, is a little bit reminiscent of some of the people we've done in the past. Ah. Um, actually has, has a couple of parallels to people we've done in the past, like um, a big swirly signature. Not quite, not quite, but there's some several, there's a couple of callbacks to things that we've talked about on previous episodes. So if you, if this is your first time listening, you might want to start back with some of the back catalog. We started with Andre the giant in season one and went on, uh, from there. What is this about episode 21? I think. Oh, oh wow. Wow. Oh, um, so yeah, there's, this calls back to, uh, some of the previous episodes that we have. I'll, I'll start okay. with a little, uh, um, not really a riddle, but, uh, a clue for you. Now, if you, if you, if you'd not, we've alluded to this on previous episodes before, but, uh, we record a couple of these episodes in a day and we don't know, obviously we don't know who the other one is picked. And there's always this uh, sense of nerves right about now where you're afraid that the other person picked the same person as you. Yeah. You guys will hear it as a future episode. But right now, we're at the beginning of uh, recording a couple of different episodes. You know what? If it's the same episode, this just becomes a jumbo episode. No worries, Kelly. I don't want you to stress out about this. No, I appreciate that. I'm 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 uh, excited about it. And, you know, if we do the same person again, uh, it's only happened once, right? And then we did one on purpose where we both did St. Valentine. By the way, St. Valentine, you know, if you're, a, if you're a lover at heart, you want to check out that episode. Yeah. If you've missed a holiday episode, it doesn't have to be that holiday to come and listen to it. Just, um, just go ahead and listen to it. It's a good date night uh, episode listening. If you're on a date, just pop in those AirPods, listen to it together. It's, it's yeah. a really romantic thing. The dulcet tones of uh, Kelly in my voice. <laughs> dulcet. All right, so this person, um, uh, a male, okay, wasn't a chef, but changed the way that people eat, first in the U.S., then around the world. Um, was this uh, Harvey Spork? 
<laughs> no, but future future episode on uh, Harvey Spork. <laughs> look, out, look out for that one. I always thought that the spork was a combination of spoon and fork, but it turns out there was a Harvey Spork. Yeah, yeah. We'll we talk about maybe in an April Fool's episode or something. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. All right. Now, um, all right. Please continue. By his name, you'd think we were going to talk about Mario Batale or Steve Irwin, but we're not. Okay. Uh, I know who Steve Irwin is. I'm not sure who, who is Mario Batali. Can you tell me that? He's like a celebrity chef, but it's more about what he wears that where that clue is. Uh, if you don't know him, if you don't know, you don't know. Okay. Well, Steve Irwin wears a lot of Outback uh, stuff. It so, has nothing so. to do with what Steve Irwin um, wears, but more what he, what he uh, was into. Is it, is it Anthony Bourdain? No, it is not. So, okay. Uh, there's a footwear that Mario Batali wore that was similar to what Steve Irwin liked to uh, to uh, hang out oh, with. Oh, okay, Crocs, Crocs. Yeah. Uh, so if you would think it was because of Crocs, because of his name, Cr- Betty Crocker. No. You know what? I was going to do an episode on Betty Crocker. Turns out she wasn't a real person. Oh, well, there you go. I was, I was really, I had that one in my back pocket for a long time and it turns out she wasn't real. No, today we're going to talk about Ray Kroc. Oh yes. McDonald's. The Ray Kroc, the, uh, not the original founder, but the one that, uh, drove, uh, McDonald's into Providence. Uh, that's Providence. right. That's right. No, we'll he, talk he, about that. he was a subject of a movie. I did see that movie. What was that called? Um, the movie starred uh, Michael Keaton as him, right? Yeah, that's right. And he had the speedy system. It was. Uh, did you ever see the movie? No, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm excited about that. I will say, kind of like Colonel Sanders, it's something that pretty much every American sees all the time, um, and a lot of people out of the U.S. Um, if if you're not from the U.S. and you're listening, we are talking about the Golden Arches, McDonald's, Big Macs, Quarter Pounders. Um, either people in other countries either love America for it or they hate us for it. Right. Yeah. But one thing, if you're from another country, you know about it, right? That's kind of the symbol of America for a lot of people. It's, it's the symbol of capitalism of Western, uh, civilization. Definitely, um, um, kind of on our, on our ongoing theme of 20th century icons, right? Yeah. Um, I love it. I didn't mention that he was born in Oak Park, Illinois in 1902, died in San Diego in 1984. Well, you know, those those clues have no value whatsoever, as you pointed out to me. The what what don't those clues have no oh. birth and birth and right, sure. death location and, and time. Although if you're a McDonald's historian, you might recognize the Oak Park. That's where their headquarters um, still kind of remain. Is it near and, Chicago? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a suburb of Chicago. And then the San Diego part, he was, um, as we'll get to uh, later, he uh, owned the San Diego Padre baseball team at the end of his Did uh, he life. really? But very much the, a contemporary of of uh, previous uh, Dirt Nap City uh, yeah. episode, uh, Colonel Sanders, very much kind of the, the exact same time frame that we're Did they ever meet? About. You know, I was looking for a picture of them together. I'm sure they met, but I did not find any uh, picture of them. The closest I found was a picture of Dave Thomas, the Wendy's uh, entrepreneur, and Colonel Sanders together because Dave Thomas used to uh, work at Wendy's, and there was a picture of him wearing the Colonel Sanders outfit. I mean, 
worked at Colonel Sanders. Wait, Dave Thomas worked at Kentucky Fried Chicken? Right. He was a franchisee. And there's a picture of him wearing his Colonel Sanders uh, costume next to Colonel (laughs) Sanders. Um, Nice. A younger Dave Thomas. Um, So let me tell you a little bit about Ray Kroc. Because this guy's pretty pretty interesting. And again, one of these 20th century American icon stories. But also, like Colonel Sanders, didn't really – strike it big until, you know, midlife. So only enjoyed about 30 years of incredible wealth. And by the way, before, before you go too far, I do want to compliment you on the clue because I should have, I really should have got the croc part, you know, the crocodile hunter, Steve Irwin. Yeah, sure. And Mario Batali is uh, kind of a, a overweight celebrity chef with, with long red hair who wears crocs. Yeah. That's so if, famous if you, for it. If you know, you know, you know? Yeah. So this guy was um, born to uh, Czech immigrant parents. Uh, they were, uh, and his father actually uh, was pretty rich, made a fortune, and lost it all during the stock market crash of 1929. So, grew up and saw a little bit of the wealth, experienced that, but also experienced, you know, the kind of the downside of of capitalism and 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 lived through the Great Depression. Now, here is a fact that is almost identical to someone else that we've talked about. Let's see if you remember. Um, I, I'm going to say this little bullet point, and it's going to hopefully uh, you'll recall somebody else that I said almost the exact same thing. When World War I broke out, he lied about his age oh. and went to war and became an ambulance driver at the age of 15, but the war ended right after he enlisted. And he painted Ronald McDonald on the side of the ambulance, right? <laughs> We're talking about it, Walt Disney. It's amazing. That's the same story that uh, Walt Disney had. Now, upon further review, here's something even more interesting: is there's actually a whole Wikipedia page designed for ambulance drivers during World War One. Wow. It's amazing all the notable people that were ambulance drivers, and uh, particularly artists. Many artists, a lot of writers like uh, E.E. E. Cummings, Ernest Hemingway, people that were writers when World War I were going on. And the article I was reading said that it was probably due to the fact that, you know, they believed in the cause, but they either were too young to go into combat or they didn't want to uh, take up arms, but they believed in the cause. So they wanted to do something. Men and women around that time, particularly creative art, artistic people, seem to uh, be uh, uh, gravitate towards being ambulance drivers around world with this is world war one I'm talking about now. Yeah. So, so we're talking about too, you had to really know how to drive because this wasn't an automatic, uh, you know, t- 2017 vehicle. This was a, 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 a 1917 vehicle or a 1905 vehicle that had uh, probably tiny tires driving through mud and foxholes and rocks. You know, that was a, Probably a tough job. Yeah, and he was only 15. Wow. (laughs) So uh, once the war ended um, and then World War II came and went, um, he had different jobs, but ultimately became a milkshake mixer salesman for a company who wasn't doing well. In fact, this company was uh, really uh, kind of getting killed in the market share by uh, Hamilton uh, Hamilton Beach, is that the name of the yeah. mixer company yeah. um, that you always see on The Price is Right? So they were kind of a second-rate Hamilton Beach. But there was a particular restaurant in California that um, bought a bunch of his mixers, and he became to know those guys pretty well, and those were the McDonald brothers. Because they made shakes. 
Richard and Maurice McDonald. That's right. They made shakes. And those guys started a, a McDonald's as a restaurant in 1940, later turned it into a hamburger stand and was starting to franchise out in just the California area, just the Southern California uh, okay. area, actually. And they weren't really interested in going outside the California market. They said, our hamburgers wouldn't really work in cold climates or wet climates or anything like that. This no, needs, Nobody this, likes a hot burger when it's cold and wet outside. They thought that maybe it was because it was an outdoor, it was a hamburger stand. So yeah. you kind of walk up there and order it. There was no drive-throughs back then. So this was kind of a thing that you would do outside. And they thought, well, if it's 20 degrees, what would somebody do at our hamburger stand? So True. they were trying to keep it kind of Southern California related. And this guy being from Chicago said, I'll tell you what, you give me the national franchise, anything outside of California and Arizona, I'll take it on and I'll give you guys uh, half a percent of all gross sales for every restaurant that I open from there. And for them, it was kind of easy money because they weren't going to expand it outside of California. Yeah, they anyways. had no plans to do that. And so this was just uh, somebody else doing the work for them. Yeah. So they were just making money while they slept, right? So in 1953, um, he uh, he got the national franchise for McDonald's. So if you remember our Walt Disney episode, remember that, uh, as you mentioned, that he was also a, a, a ambulance driver. Turns out those two guys were buddies. They met in ambulance training school. Over in France or Italy or wherever they were? Yeah, yeah, in Europe. So as soon as he becomes the national franchisee, he's reading in the papers that Walt Disney is is uh, starting up this Disneyland. And he writes a letter to Walt. And he says, uh, I have very recently taken over the national franchise of the McDonald's system. I would like to inquire if there may be an opportunity for a McDonald's in your Disney development. As the story goes, Walt wrote back and said, okay, you can do that, but instead of charging 10 cents for your French fries, charge 15 and I'll take the other five cents. Um, so wow. you know, Ray said no to that. And um, there was no McDonald's at, at Disney, but I thought that was an interesting kind of intersection of two dirt nap city residents. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Ships passing in the night, right? They're probably down there selling, uh, selling themselves some burgers and fries right now down there. <laughs> it is dirt. Oh, that's true. That's true. So when Ray Kroc, uh, he, uh, he took over and, and he had some very uh, strict rules about the franchise system. Up to then, most franchises, and this was the ninth restaurant that he opened was in Illinois. So there was eight in California. And he decided that- but his first. So it so was there his was first. Owned by, owned by the McDonald's brothers. Richard and Maurice owned eight, and then he opened the ninth in in the uh, Chicago area, Illinois. Right, but his idea was instead of being having uh, most franchises where you know you'd you'd get the the southeast area or you'd get the whole Chicago area, he had an idea to make these guy uh, franchise owners only own one single restaurant, and hmm. so they couldn't kind of take over the system. That he would still have a lot large control over the system, and because the biggest thing for him was uniformity in both quality and service. Yeah. And if, if, if you start having people own, take over, you know, 30, 40 restaurants, he loses a little bit of control. So by having them only take one restaurant at a time, um, he, he could 
standardize everything. The idea was to standardize everything so that the experience of every McDonald's would be the exact same everywhere. And I think to this day, that's what they're going for, right? That's that's yeah. the idea behind a lot of these fast food restaurants. They're pretty close to it. I mean, I, I drive across the country pretty regularly from here to New York, and we stop in a lot of McDonald's. The bathrooms are always adequate. The coffee's not bad. You know, it wasn't coffee wasn't something they originally really sold a lot of, but you know, I think they've grown their reputation for coffee and iced coffee, uh, smoothies, things like that. But it's just you kind of know what you're getting, right? That's that's exactly right. You know what you're getting. And remember, this is in the early 1950s, as we talked about on the Colonel Sanders episode. When up to then, it's just a lot of mom and pop restaurants with varying opening and closing times and days. You don't know where the next restaurant's going to be. There was, there was. Uh, uh, remember, Duncan Hines put out the book of all the restaurants to stop in, but it's really confusing if you're. Is the bathroom there, clean? Yeah, but if you go to a McDonald's, like you said, you know what you're getting, and I think that holds true to this day. That's what he was trying to achieve. But he also wanted to make it where people would know that they were uh, there was almost a guarantee of quality. So if your order was wrong, you get a refund. Yeah. If you had to wait more than five minutes, you get a refund. Now, think about how crazy that is that back then – you're talking about mo- most restaurants were sit-down restaurants with waiters, wait service. You're waiting a lot more than five minutes. But this idea of fast food, that food, you know, you're going to get your food within five minutes or you get your money back. That's revolutionary. Yeah, 100%. And and was the term fast food common back then, do you know? No, I think that term um, might have come up in the in the seventies. Um, oh, okay. After these places had already been established, and then we were like, "What should we call that?" Okay, yeah. Fast, I and mean, I think food. I think Burger King, Wendy's, Jack in the Box, uh, some of these early places. I think in the once they were kind of everywhere, ubiquitous. Then then I think they they coined the term fast food. The other thing was he only allowed franchises in suburbs. He didn't let anybody build downtown restaurants. He was a he was afraid that they would get robbed or um that uh, that there there would be um some sort of um you know uh, bad elements i guess uh, downtown now uh he also wanted um them to be properly clean like you mentioned the people that worked there to be well groomed and be polite to children i think he realized early on that if you get the kids the kids are often the ones on family trips to determine where y'all eat, right? That's right. And if you're nice to kids, um, and that became a huge thing to um, uh, factor in McDonald's success. Right? Give them, give them a nice, friendly handshake. That's Just right, like Doctor right. Spock. That's right. Also, don't waste anything. Every condiment container is scraped completely clean before you, you know, use another, use anything else. Very efficient, and no cigarette machines, no pinball machines. So he didn't. He wanted this to be a particular kind of place, and he didn't want the wrong element to be riffraff. Sure. Um, finally, by 1961, so about ten years into this thing, or eight years into this, he bought out the whole company from the McDonald's brothers for how much do you think that he he bought that for? Was, um, I don't know how many restaurants. I I'm going to say in, in 1951, 61, 61. Uh, I'm going to say 2.5 million. 
Very close. $2.7 million, which, mm. and that number was um, figured out to be the amount that after taxes, each of the brothers would walk away with a million bucks. And, and, you know, that was a lot of money. That's a lot of money today. That was a lot of money back then, but not anything close to <laughs> what they could have had. No, by the time he died, there was 7,500 stores, $8 billion in sales, and he was worth $600 million. That was 20 years later. Wow. He died 20. It was 1961 when he bought it. He died in 1984. So I wonder if either of the McDonald's brothers are still alive. No, I doubt it because they were older than him, I think. Okay. And he would be 120 now. So, no. No. This is a long time well, ago. You, you know, eating McDonald's definitely adds to your longevity. Well, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of uh, – there was a movie about um, – Yeah, Super Size uh, Me. Super Size Me. And that movie has not aged well. Um, there's been a lot of claims um, that um, – Morgan Spurlock, Morgan right? Spurlock, yeah. There's been a lot of claims that – um, he didn't just, he did kind of things the shady way for sensationalism in the, in the movie. Um, he didn't reveal, for example, that he was an alcoholic. And so the damage done to his liver was most likely not done to by McDonald's foods. Um, though there was a subsequent movie to that, um, that kind of did it a different way. And, um, the guy showed that with exercise, his cholesterol actually went down and he, he uh, stuck to a diet of 2000 calories a day and he actually lost weight and but it was um, all mcdonald's it was all mcdonald's but showed that you know most people i think the idea behind supersize me was that nobody knows this stuff's bad for you and i just don't think that holds water i mean nobody eats at mcdonald's every day but if you did you'd probably have a variety enough that um, you would not, you know, just be a glutton. The idea was that McDonald's also that, that he was addicted to it. But as soon as his 30 day um, uh, movie was over, he was able to quit doing it. It wasn't so he wasn't really yeah. addicted to it. Right? it it's funny because I I do remember watching that movie and I do remember not not to play, you know, Monday morning quarterback, but I do remember thinking that some of it seemed kind of contrived. I remember a scene with him throwing up. And being like, really? Just because you've eaten, you know, that that doesn't seem, I don't know, that doesn't seem like, unless it's just too much grease in your stomach or something like that. But um, but he did also, I think, Morgan Spurlock, didn't he have a whole series like a, mm-hmm. like a yeah. Netflix or HBO I was, thing? I think it was actually on CNN. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it was like an eight-part series where he did other kind of gonzo things like that where he put himself yeah. in. And I actually enjoyed it. He's... He's an interesting filmmaker. I just think there was a lot of sensationalist stuff that went along with that uh, movie. The the rule that he had was he was never going to ask specifically for to get supersized, but if they asked, he always had to say yes. Yeah. And of yeah. course, that's okay. their policy. He'd always say, well, do you want to supersize that? Now, interestingly enough, after that movie came out, they stopped offering supersize ah. meals. But, you know, I think a lot of places today will ask you, do you want to upgrade that to a, yeah. a large? Yeah, that's more, the, that's more the way that like Chick-fil-A will ask. Would you like to upgrade, sir? Um, upgrade. Well, am I going to get a more comfortable seat or what? <laughs> yeah, it's just more food shoved in your pie hole, basically, right? <laughs> yes, or more pie. <laughs> now, when I talked about at the beginning about how this guy changed the way that we eat, I think – 
it's hard for us to imagine what what it was like in the early 1950s or 1960s when these McDonald's were starting to uh, to sprout up. But man, I mean, outside the home, eating outside the home used to be a treat that was only you know you do once a month maybe if you had a little bit of money you'd you'd go and you'd have a treat maybe you'd go to Howard Johnson's or you'd go to the local um, mom and pop restaurant and um, and it would be an event you know everybody would dress up and this was you know. You serve meals that kids liked, served in less than five minutes. You the the real amazing thing, I think he trained Americans to bust their own tables. Oh, really? Think about that. That wasn't done before? Nobody ever would think of kind of like how you would never think of pumping your own gas until everybody did. Imagine training people, he would put these garbage cans that were kind of friendly labeled and had the swinging door and plastic trays and tell people, Hey, on your way out, why don't you throw your stuff away? And then they could save on, you know, um, maintenance Labor. people Yeah, and all they have to, um, now they'd still have people come and wipe up the, the tables, but think of tr- basically training people to now that's kind of our default. You know, we're yeah. kind of spoiled. If somebody comes and cleans our, and say, Oh, uh, um, barbecue places are notorious. Like, I, do I leave my stuff here, or you kind of don't know, and then you kind of walk around and see what other people are doing. But our default is to kind of look for a place to throw out our own food, right? Yeah, yeah. No, you're right, and and that wasn't a common thing, I guess, anywhere before that. Not only that, but the idea of dining in versus takeout. There was no real such thing as takeout food. Um, I think maybe Chinese restaurants you know, started that with the, 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 the doggy bag, you know, little white box, but no place else would you take out your food. And what they would do is they would ask you, is this dine in or take out? I mean, I'm, I'm talking to you as if you've never been to a fast food restaurant, but that was so unique and foreign to people at the time. And if it was dine in, they'd give you a little tray. And if it was takeout, they'd put it in a bag. Then drive-through, the idea of drive-through came in much later. I think Jack in the Box might have started the drive-through restaurant with the clown's mouth. There were a lot of like drive-in restaurants, like Sonic, right? That sure, and wasn't even Whataburger. I think was had had a lot of drive-in, had had like kind of those stations. I'm trying to think of another one besides so- in Sonic. Houston. In Houston, they had Prince's Hamburgers. Yeah, it wasn't Dan's and Franz. Didn't they have like a little drive drive in here in Austin? I'm sure every little city had their own version of it, but you don't drive away with the food. You just yeah, you sit there the and eat it in your car. Yeah, which is a weird thing to me. It's like I, I, I that feels like the worst of both worlds, right? Yes. It's like okay, I'm not going to save any time, and I'm not going to be able to eat at home, but I'm also not going to get the food fast, and I'm also not go, and I'm also going to make a mess in my car, and my car is going <laughs> to smell like French fries. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with you. I have to tell you a quick funny story about about Sonic. Uh, when my daughter was probably three years old, four years old, um, she ate a bunch of tater tots at Sonic. And you know that Sonic tater tots are delicious, right? Um, you're not in your head, but nobody can see that. Yes. Yes, they're <laughs> delicious. Thank you. Uh, so she ate you know, way too many tater tots. And guess what happened? She threw up. You know, talking about too much grease in your stomach all of a sudden, and she's blah, throwing it up. And so I think that happened one time. And then we go back to Sonic, and she's in the back seat of the car, 
and there's a kid next door eating tater tots and she gives gives the kid the roll you know she rolls down the window and gives the kid the roll down the window and says don't eat too many they'll make you puke <laughs> was she ever allowed back at sonic again uh you know i think her thing there now is just the the um, not frosties and blizzards what do they call them like the route 66 you know the mm-hmm. the cherry lime slushies and that sort of thing like i don't think she i think she only does sweet at sonic now she doesn't do she doesn't do savory anymore what's interesting that you mentioned sonic because we live here in texas and if you don't have sonic in your part of the country uh in a lot of small towns in texas sonic is the place to, to kind of go and gather after you know high school football games and big events like, it's da- the, like dairy queen Dairy sure, Queen's sure. One. In other parts of the country, um, McDonald's is like that in a lot of places. That most small towns have a McDonald's, and in a lot of places, McDonald's is the place to gather. Which, you know, when you think of a McDonald's as being this enormous corporation and kind of the behemoth that's that symbolizes capitalism, what what the company emphasizes to its franchise. East to this day is that in your little town, McDonald's is the small town restaurant. It is the mom and pop place. And that going back to the kind of single franchise owner, and I'm not sure that that's still the case. I think you can buy a few now, but the idea in the DNA of McDonald's is still very much like you're the small town restaurant in your little town. It just so happens that everybody already knows all the food. It already has name recognition and instant kind of credibility to the extent that they know it, what it, what they're going to get, right? Yeah, yeah. But that idea of McDonald's being part of the community and being being there for after the high school football game or the band concert or whatever, that is the case throughout America. Well, and, I, and I got to say, you're, you're absolutely right. But I got to tell you, I don't think it's just because of their philosophy and the fact that they train their – uh, franchisees to do that. It's their advertising, right? I mean, they're advertising every every commercial you see is the happy family, you know, after the football game, you know, exactly what you're talking about. The sports kids after the baseball game and we lost, but we're going to McDonald's. Hey! You know, it's, it's very much the way they p- position themselves over the years. And I agree with you. Um, I have a funny story too. This is a really quick one. My grandfather ran his own business in Kansas for a long time. And then when he retired, he, uh, they originally moved to Florida, but they decided they wanted more. They wanted four seasons again. So they moved to North Carolina, this little town called black mountain. And when we would go to visit, he called McDonald's the office. He said, honey, I'm going to the office. (laughs) And he would go down there and just drink coffee and eat, you know, whatever, whatever he was having. And he would take people down there. He would meet people down there. He was always kind of this wheeler dealer entrepreneur kind of guy, like to sell stuff at flea, you know, buy stuff at flea markets and sell it. You know, he would have loved eBay, but, but McDonald's was the office. And so I remember him saying, uh, Kelly, we're going to the office and he'd take me down to McDonald's. Wow. That's great. That's great. Did you feel a certain like, uh, um, special place in your heart for McDonald's because of that? Uh, I, I mean, I'll, I'll say my, my parents, we, we very much frequented McDonald's when I was a kid. So I already kind of did, you know, it was, okay. it was, it was very much like you said, it was something we could all agree on. Um, it was cheap. It was fast. There was one right near our house. I definitely feel like that story with my grandfather. Um, I thought it was funny that 
he named it the office, you know, and everybody knew what he was talking about, but, um, I already had an affinity for it. I think in later years, I've tried to resist it. Like I try not to go there because it is so, it is such, um, I think kind of high calorie, low, uh, nutrition food compared to other foods. And it is such a big corporation. It's not supporting local things, you know, whatever, all the reasons you might not go to McDonald's, but I still find myself on a road trip stopping there because you know what you're getting, just like you said. So about 15 years ago, man, was it that long ago? Maybe, yeah, but maybe, yeah, about 15 years ago, I had the occasion to visit Hamburger University. Oh, I've heard of this place. Yeah, yeah. It's where the franchisees go to learn the ways of McDonald's. It's pretty amazing. It's place. Um, it's it was in um, um, uh, Illinois. It was in, uh, believe it's still in Oak Park, Illinois. Now it's moved to. Um, now they are in downtown Chicago, where Oprah's offices actually were. They've converted that, but it's basically the training facility. Yeah, for McDonald's. Um, um, it's it's mostly manage well it's managerial training executive training um uh, it's pretty amazing place and i got to spend the entire day there kind of walking around and and um i'll tell you what by the i'm not a big mcdonald's person but by the end where they told us at the end of the day they were gonna bring us a mcdonald they were gonna give us a hamburger i was so excited and i all day i kept thinking maybe i've misjudged this thing this whole time because it must be important if they have, I mean, Kelly, they have rooms there. They have training rooms that are like the United Nations where people have different headsets and they have 25 different languages that they can teach. And they have translators behind glass translating these, these seminars. And you think, well, this has to be more important than just a hamburger. But alas, at the end of the day, I tasted it and it was just a simple McDonald's hamburger. <laughs> so, so let me ask you this. Um, what is your favorite thing to order at a McDonald's? Like if you, if you were stopping and could just get one thing, what would it be? That might've been the last time I was at a McDonald's was that at hamburger. I just don't usually go there, but I suppose if I went, not even, not even like road trips between Dow- no. or Austin and Houston or where, no. where do you stop between Austin and Houston? Bucky's? Um, uh, sure. Uh, uh, Prosix. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just not a big McDonald's person. Um, I, I, I don't know if I, if I went there, I would probably, do they have some kind of a chicken uh, sandwich? I'd probably get something like that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> what are you laughing at Kelly? <laughs> it's just the cavalierness in the way you say that. Do you have some kind of a chicken sandwich? This is not being being elite. It's just I don't care for McDonald's that much. Now, McDonald's, if you're listening, uh, we'd be happy to sponsor. We'd be happy to take your sponsorship money because obviously Kelly calls it the office. Yeah, um, my whole family. He'll, he'll do the reads if you want to sponsor our, our uh, show. All right. Um, well, if, if you were to ask me the same question, you're Kelly, begging well, me to ask you this question, aren't you? <laughs> You know, if I, I might try a McDLT if they still had those because those are fascinating. And and at before you give me your answer, let me just tell you that when you go to Hamburger University, there is a portion of that museum that's like uh, at that place that's like a museum, and they have all these artifacts and they have like the original packaging of the McDLT and they have like the wasn't the, it the hot side hot and the cold side cold? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a whole thing, right? And then they had like the history of the McRib and all this. You would you would love this mu- museum. They have like 
a whole wall of of all the happy meal toys that they've ever had. It's really a quite quite uh, astounding place. Let me ask you. Yeah, what's your question? What's your go, what's your go to order? Oh, great question, Alex. Um, well, I was going to tell you that my go to order is the quarter pounder with cheese, and I have a vision of what it tastes like. I have a memory of what it tastes like, and every once in a while, I get one that that meets that memory, like just kicks off the right you know chemicals in my brain and dopamine, mm. and I'm just like, yeah, that's good. Um, you know, the the beef is really hot and pretty ju- juicy. The lettuce is, you know, crispy. The pickles are pickly. You know, it's got the right amount of sauce on it. I'd say 80% of the time they miss the mark. 80% of the time I'm disappointed in the quarter pounder with cheese. But, but that, that 20% when it's right, it's, it's so good. So that's interesting because that's their philosophy is that standardization. So you're saying they're falling short. Yeah, it's it's like the bread is a little stale or the meat's cold or the the lettuce isn't crispy. I mean there's there's always something I'd say eighty percent of the time there's something that is falling short. So McDonald's, if you're listening, get it together, man. Try to get it together. Then then I also I do want to compliment them though. Their iced coffee is really good, especially if you don't oversweeten it, because they do oversweeten it. They serve it super sweet, but you have to tell them that you don't want it as sweet and they'll do that. And then they do have, uh, McDonald's now has smoothies and their smoothies. I don't know how full of sugar they are. I don't know how nutritious they are. If they're, you know, like a legit healthy smoothie or if they're just like basically, um, you know, a, a malt. Um, yeah, they're, they're good though. They're good. And you don't feel quite as guilty, uh, (laughs) drinking one of those as you do drinking a milkshake. You talk about the quarter pounder with cheese, um, they did develop a bigger burger than that called the third pounder and people didn't buy it because people thought this is kind of embarrassing, but Americans thought a third of a pound was less than a quarter pound (laughs) and and they're charging more money for a a quarter pound. Yeah. What, well, you know, you can get like a double quarter pounder, you know, I mean, you can get like a triple, I think, isn't there a triple? Is, so is, is that- if you if you teach fractions out there, uh, <laughs> get, get your act together, Americans. <laughs> That's really sad state. So it we didn't sell because people they would ask people uh, as they were leaving the store, why didn't you buy the third apartment? And they go, why would I pay more for less for a smaller hamburger? Yeah, and people didn't know that a third of a pound was more than a quarter. more meat than a quarter pound. It's a wow. sad thing. Uh, I was speaking with a uh, uh, about McDonald's uh, um, about my trip to quarter um, hamburger university and uh, I, to a can colleague. Ask, can I ask why, why did you, why did you go to hamburger university? Oh, it was on a, a, a work. Um, it was at a conference and uh, at a lot of our conferences, we take uh, these trips to organizations that are uh, in the area. And it was a conference in Chicago. So you weren't, that was, you weren't buying a franchise or no, no, no. Okay. So I was at another conference and I was telling this, this colleague of mine who was Portuguese um, and, uh, she had never been to the U S uh, we were in Germany at the time and I was telling her about my trip and she said, Oh, the, the secret to McDonald's is they, they get the kids hooked, you know? And that was yeah, just what we were just talking about. And she said, she said, I don't know what they put in that soup, but my kids go crazy for the soup <laughs> said, soup. Apparently in 
Portugal, the soup at McDonald's is like crack. They say for kids love the soup. Um, So it's really funny that they've figured out these little regional things that kids like in other places. And it's like a Royale with cheese. In Indonesia, they have McRice. (laughs) In New Zealand, they have meat pies. Uh, In Greece, their hamburgers have tzatziki sauce and they're served in pita. You know, just little things like that. Now, as we talked about in the Colonel Sanders episode, there's a fine line. And actually in Walt Disney episode too, there's a fine line between, you know, somebody coming to McDonald's and wanting a taste of America versus giving them something that they're comfortable. It's probably like American Chinese food, you know? Yeah. Uh, It has to be something that they're going to buy, but think that they're getting a taste of America. Uh, In a lot of European countries, um, they serve beer at McDonald's. I don't know if you've ever been to McDonald's in Germany, but they yeah, serve beer yeah. there. Yep. I have seen that. Today, there's over 40,000 McDonald's, uh, wow. and only a third of them are in the United States. Wow. Okay. Do you know which country has the second most McDonald's restaurants? Uh, I mean, I would think Canada, but... It's actually Japan, and then China what? is number three. Isn't that crazy? Wait, Japan's tiny. Yeah, I know. I know. Isn't that crazy? They have uh, like uh, 20,000 um, McDonald's in Japan or wow. something crazy like that. Or, you know, I mean, that would be like a McDonald's every every 10 feet. You know, yeah. I mean, like, you remember, do you remember? Um, we Don't were, I think fact we were, check me, Kelly. <laughs> we were talking about, um, we were talking about Best in Show. And I don't know if you remember the scene where uh, they met at the McDonald's or they met, sorry. We were talking about Best in Show, and they were talk, talking about how they met at the Starbucks, but it was across the street from another Starbucks, and she had right, gone to the wrong right, Starbucks. Right, 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 right. They actually have that in, in Houston. They have a Starbucks across the street from another Starbucks. Oh, goodness. Um, people estimate that one, of, one out of every eight workers in the U.S. have worked at McDonald's at some point. Which is really interesting because you figure that that it, a lot of people when their their first job is at McDonald's, so it kind of sets the stage for what a workplace should be, what people should expect. A lot of these, you know, managers are eighteen, nineteen years old, and they're the first boss that people ever have. One out of every eight workers have worked, and if you figure, if you factor in all the other fast food places. There's a huge percentage get their first job at, at one of these places. I did want to mention, since we were talking about Germany, that in Hamburg, Germany, there's actually a McBoat where you can – they have a float-through service instead of drive-through where you can drive your boat through and get, get Wait, food. It's the only one in the world. It's a McDonald's? Yeah, it's called McBoat. <laughs> okay. But it's a, it's a McDonald's. It's a McDonald's, and they have a float-through service where you – called where McBoat. Wow. Yeah, you can only get there – I don't know if you can go inside. I think you well, you know, to- in Germany, you know, you know, in in Hamburg, you know, the people that live there, they're called hamburgers, right? Which you know, <laughs> it's perfect, right? Back to so maybe there is a hamburger university there, right? So you you mentioned one in eight uh, American workers had worked at McDonald's. Uh, my wife worked at McDonald's. Oh, great, great. Um, yeah. How for how long? I mean, she was a she was a teenager. This was in the Dallas area. Um, I don't know, a year or two. Um, should we get her in here? <laughs> no, you sure? Uh, now I remember when I was younger. I remember people complaining about the McDonald's cash registers just had pictures of food on them. 
They didn't even have words. And people would just press those and they were complaining that the workers today are never going to know how to make change. It's kind of like the chat GPT discussions we're having now. They, you know, thinking that making things easier makes people, you know, lazier. Dumbiness down. Sure, sure, sure. But I don't think that was that bad of a technology probably. I mean, it got things done. It got things faster. And, you know, it, it probably cut down on the air and, the idea was if the order got messed up, they had they got their money back. So it was really important that that stuff was taken care of. Um, at this McDonald's University, I want to stress how international this place was. I mean, um, they had people from 119 countries, and they're teaching things, you know, not just about the organizational values and history and technical expertise. I mean, you could have a whole class on the architecture of a hamburger, but you would also have classes on leadership skills. Um, so it was, and, and the ability, they had the ability to teach in 28 different languages through the, you know, like I said, like the United Nations type of headphone system. Um, some there there's, there's been over a quarter million graduates of hamburger university. They say it's actually more selective than Harvard. Harvard's acceptance rate is um, 7% and McDonald's University is uh, less than 1%. So it's harder to get into. And they even call their instructors faculty. Um, Wow. It has a very college feel to it. You could potentially get a job at Hamburger University someday. Me? Yeah. Sure. Sure. Why not? Faculty. Tenured tenured, or uh, as they call it, the deep fried faculty. Sure. Now back to our uh, hero of the story, Ray Kroc. Um, you know, he was just kind of printing money. The the way that McDonald's headquarters made money is they owned all the land that anytime a store was bought, McDonald's would own the land. So they were just getting tons of uh, tons of money from these uh, fran- they get franchises. Did they own the land they- or the actual building as well? Um, I'm not sure about that. I know that it was, they were very much, uh, you know, a, a, they became a, land, a landlord, landlord company. Right. Yeah. Um, so he was just raking in. And like I said, you know, if you, you figure he was really starting in 19, in the early sixties with the big, um, push, um, you know, he retired in 1973. So, wow. you know, he had 10 to 20 years of this, uh, uh, 1973 he retired and he bought the uh, San Diego Padres baseball team for $12 million, which um, nowadays baseball teams go for, um, you know, like a billion dollars. Yeah. Um, uh, but the fans loved him. He was just, a, he was just another fan um, kind of plucked. It wasn't some, you know, uh, a rich oligarch. He was just a fan like the rest of them. In fact, they lost to the Astros in 1974 and he went to the PA system and said, I've never seen such stupid ball playing in my life. And the crowd went crazy. They got him his son. <laughs> I'm sure the players hated it, but the crowd loved it. But he kept getting fined by the commissioner for things like tampering and things like that. So he handed over the operations to his son-in-law in 1979. He said, there's more future in hamburgers than baseball. Um, died five years later. But the year that he died, he died in the summertime. And that year, the Padres went to the World Series. Oh, wow. Um, one of only two times they've ever been in the World Series. So um, I remember they played my uh, favorite team, um, the Detroit Tigers, that year. And they, the, all the Padres had his initials on their, on their sleeves, R-A-K. 
uh, for uh, Ray Kroc. So, wow. um, but you know, the, the legacy that this guy leaves uh, much like Colonel Sanders is immense. Um, maybe the name isn't there. Maybe the name recognition, people don't necessarily know the, uh, the name Ray Kroc. I think, I think in the business world, he's pretty well known and respected, right. You know, as an entrepreneur and a, a founder, but yeah, I, he, I'm trying to think if Dave Thomas or Ray Kroc, I feel like Ray Kroc still has an edge. And and then Colonel Sanders, though, Colonel Sanders was in the commercials. That's why he's the most And popular. he's still the face. Like he's yeah. still the logo. Ray Kroc never changed the name. Dave Thomas did commercials. I don't know if Ray Kroc ever did. Yeah, you're he right. Was just, he was just the money man, you know? Yeah. And um, But the legacy he leaves isn't just a bunch of McDonald's. It's, like I said, he changed the way we do things. And even if you're a hater of McDonald's, or even if you prefer different fast food places, there's undeniable that they're the king of fast food. Oh yeah. Yeah. Worldwide. Well, can we talk about the characters? Oh, the, uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the characters. So, um, again, to appeal to children, um, they invented, um, now the original logo for like when the McDonald brothers uh, had it was just uh, like a chef's hat um, on top of a hamburger. Pretty okay. boring. Um, but then this guy came in in the, um, I don't know when the characters came in. I'm guessing by the way they looked, it came in the sixties. Yeah. They, they, um, they, they, they had a very psychedelic looking. Yep. Yeah. Very colorful. But let's see, you had Ronald McDonald. You had, um, who was, you know, just the nice, lovable, and still to this day at every Walmart where I think there's a McDonald's inside every Walmart, there's a Ronald McDonald like statue sitting. Yeah, on yeah, kind of, kind of a silver or a very high polished plastic kind of look. <laughs> right, yep. right. Um, then you had um, Mayor McCheese. Mayor right? McCheese, yes. Mayor McCheese was uh, kind of a. Uh, a, a hamburger or well, a cheeseburger, cheeseburger wearing yeah. wearing a tuxedo, right? Or yep. a, a suit um, that was kind of, I guess, the boss of everything. Um, then you had uh, Grimace. Grimace. He was purple. <laughs> Grimace is purple and almost like a... Uh, um, a big blob. Kind of a Barney kind of a knockoff. Yeah. Um, but but I, he was I, around I, first, I think. Um, I think Grimace was around before Barney. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, who else? Who, what other characters? Hamburglar. Are, oh, Hamburglar. Now what was his deal? He went around and he was, he wore like, he had just gotten broken out of jail. He wore um, striped, a uh, striped, uh, like a prison uniform and um, a mask and uh, like a hat. Right. Yeah. I don't know what the deal was with him. Like he would go around stealing people's hamburgers. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, uh, there was a cop character um, Officer Big Mac. Officer Big Mac. That's right. He looked just like uh, Mayor McCheese, but he was a cop, right? And, right. Um, yeah. And then he wore a little hat on top of his uh, on top of his big giant head. But he was the one who had to chase the hamburger all the time. What about Cap- Captain Crook? Captain Crook. So Captain Crook was just like Hamburglar, except he only stole fillet of fish. Right, right. He was into fish because he was a captain. <laughs> oh man! I just actually Googled uh, Grimace, uh, Grimace, uh, and Barney, and then apparently there's a Grimace versus Barney death match video. Of course on there YouTube. is. Of course <laughs> there is. 
<laughs> I'd like to see that. I'm going to watch the death battle, it says. Uh, yeah, and looking at the two, they were very similar. Grimace was Grimace was um, more cone-shaped, and Barney was more had a big dinosaur head, whereas Grimace's head just kind of went to a point. Do you think those characters still exist today? Like, do people know Grimace? You think if you no. showed somebody from a young person today Grimace, they would know they would at least identify it with McDonald's? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think you have to you have to be of a certain age and generation to know who Grimace is. They're gonna know who Barney is because they're Barney was kind of around when we were a little bit older, but they're not gonna know who Grimace is. Yeah, so I'm I'm reading about Grimace here and it says that he was officially first called Evil Grimace, and he was just two arms that stole milkshakes. And then they <laughs> they dropped the evil part, and he was introduced as one of the good guys. He was he was sued by that Knievel guy. He said, <laughs> you can't you can't be evil Grimace. Sorry, buddy. I mean, I guess he was just like a mascot, huh? And why was there always a fascination with stealing things? You know, stealing the filet fish, stealing the hamburgers. I mean, Hamburglar. That okay. That that's clever, right? But but Captain Crook. Well, that's clever too, actually. Do you think the idea was to get kids to order more than one burger so in case the one of them got stolen? <laughs> I think the idea was to teach morality to kids through through um, processed food. Yeah, you're probably right. Ultimately, it came down to these people were pioneers in this marketing to kids thing. So none of this stuff would fly today. I mean, it's all kind of, you know, schlocky and cheesy and uh, yeah. excuse my excuse my pun there, but but it it was at the time probably pretty innovative. I mean, nobody likes clowns, right? Who who actually likes clowns? But but at the time, again, hey, we want kids. It's like I think I think Ronald McDonald is a little bit of who Krusty the Clown is making fun of, right? You know, or, yeah. or Bozo and all those people. But yeah, but I think Ronald McDonald would still be recognizable now. I mean, yes, he's not, they don't make any commercials with him. Maybe it's because he's at Walmart, but. I don't know how, but I feel like people still know who Ronald McDonald is. Yeah, it's all the other characters, though, that got sort of pushed to the back and to the side. I mean, you don't ever see... As a matter of fact, I remember the Happy Meals back in the day. They would always have characters in them. Right, 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 right. Like, yeah, they were IP for them, for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm reading about Ronald's... uh, And I never noticed this until I just read this, but you probably did since you're more of a McDonald's guy. Ronald's suit had French fry bags for pockets with two large ones around the lower body and an average size French fry bag on the heart. Huh? No, I, I, that, that isn't something that I knew or recognized. So they probably did that. So people would order more French fries and put some in their pocket. (laughs) Right. Like, and, and there wasn't a French fry thief specifically, right? That would be you. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm the French fry thief. Look out. You know, the, the the basic thing is they're manipulating uh, kids to just order more junk food, right? Uh, and, and they're manipulating the parents, right? To, you know, ultimately, if little Johnny melts down and, and throws a fit, then you're more likely to say, okay, okay, we'll go to McDonald's. It's fine. Yeah, and it's crazy to think that in every country they do this, and even if they don't like hamburgers, they're doing it with soup or McRice or whatever it is that the kids love uh they're they're talking directly to these kids and and then the kids are the ones deciding where to go uh uh for the for the meal it's it's really amazing and i think it still endures 
So, um, so good on you, Ray Kroc. Uh, you created a, a culture that will never, we can never get rid of now. Yeah. So I, I do want to talk about one other thing though. You, you mentioned about, um, actually I have two other, two other topics for this. One, you mentioned about the, um, the hamburger university being hard to get into. I think that the management at McDonald's is actually very well trained right i mean it's a it's a huge business you're you're managing millions and millions of dollars worth of revenue every year and and operations and logistics and supply chain and a whole bunch of stuff so it it's one of these things where i feel like they really invest in their managers but they probably don't really invest in their uh you know, kind of frontline workers as much. Sure. Because they're so transient, right? They only last, yeah, the people true. are only there for, but their, their ultimate goal is they love for people to work there, you know, for, you know, when as their first job advance through kind of assistant manager, manager, and they love for those people to become future owners and operators. They, That's they their like dream. that story. They like that story. They love that story, particularly, uh, for um, minority workers, they love that story that yeah. they're, they're given opportunity to. You start off here at 16 years old, and one day you're going to be able to buy a McDonald's and set yourself up because I think you can make pretty good money as an owner. Oh, um, yeah. As an owner, I think even as a manager, you can make six figures. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's very uh, deliberate what they're, what they're trying to do. And, and like you say, they, they have a certain way to teach the executive skills. Now, you know, as far as the turnover of a, of a place like that, I, I don't think it can be very easy. I think a company like Chick-fil-A does a really good job keeping its people. You see a lot of 20-year-old, 21-year-old kids there that have been there for four or five years that are working their way up. They've figured out a way to kind of keep those those people around too. But yeah, that's a tough industry. Get a lot it's, of turnover. It's, it's it's all about it's all about culture too, right? They're they're trying to um, create a culture, but but yeah, it's especially in today's age. Now that we have um, so many other opportunities, and so now that we have so many other um, uh, competitors out there, I I know finding finding people in that industry right now is very difficult. Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's a it's a tough. And, you know, if you can get somebody for a whole season, you know, like a summer or yeah, a, yeah. You know, a Christmas break, you're you're doing fine. It's just constant turnover. But some companies do that better than others. You know, I mean, there are some, um, you know, they make it look easy, I guess is what I'm saying. You go to some fast food places and um, forget about what the food tastes like. The operations are a disaster, right? And that is uniform. There's some places that no matter where you go – it's always a mess, right? And and there's some that do it really well, right? Because there's some if that do it well. If you're looking at uh, Chick Fil A, I think generally you have a good experience. Everybody's very polite. It's my pleasure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I want to play something for you here, real quick. Uh, Is it and, a, uh, the um, baseball drop again? N- no, no. It's something my daughter. She, she's going to be a reoccurring theme on this. It's something that she uh, recorded. Um, Many years ago, in in second grade, she was asked to do a persuasive speech, and you could either talk for something or against something. And we still have we still have it. It was an audio file. Okay, here we go. Can you hear this? 
Make disgusting. If you're ever at 183 in Breaker Lane, you're at the wrong place because there sits the worst restaurant in all of Austin. Don't go to McDonald's. Trust me, it is the worst place you could ever go. They serve the french fries cold and they're way too salty. I love french fries, but not the ones at McDonald's. And the hamburgers come with onions on a kid's meal. Who likes onions? The toys break real easily, and they're plastic. They also seem like they are for little kids. They aren't really fun to play with either. If you want to go to a filthy, disgusting, dirty, careless restaurant that has cockroaches crawling everywhere, go to McDisgusting, but I promise you won't like it. Wow, that's great. What a great review. That's one of the best Yelp reviews I've ever heard. One star. Zero. Zero Very persuasive. Very yeah. persuasive. Yeah, that was second grade. That was my, my daughter's second grade persuasive argument. Now, I'm guessing you have been to that McDonald's since. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> so but, it didn't persuade yeah, well, you, cockroaches it? everywhere. Because <laughs> it's the office, right? <laughs> um, it's funny because actually it's 183 in Breaker Lane. Uh, that's probably one. I've probably been to, been to McDonald's in, like, in Columbus, Ohio more often than I've been to that one. Because again, it's it's a roadshow thing or a road trip thing, or in Oklahoma, you know, when we're driving through Oklahoma or Missouri on the way up to New York, we stop at McDonald's, and it's usually to go to the bathroom, to stretch our legs, and to get a cup of coffee, and sometimes like some French fries. But so I'd probably hit a Brahms in that part of the country. Oh, nice! Yeah, we do. We do stop at Brahms as well. You can get some ice cream there, some good ice cream. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Uh, I, I feel like I learned a lot about Mr. Croc. And again, uh, nice nice on the clue with uh, Steve Irwin. If I only known who the other guy was, but I'll know next time. Croc, Crocodile Hunter, Crocs, Ray Croc. There was no next time. That was it. <laughs> next time we do an episode about Ray Croc. <laughs> well, you missed well your done. chance. All right, man. Very much in line with, uh, with, with uh, the 20th century and yeah. everything else about it. Well, thank you, Kelly, and thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Dirt Nap City. And uh, go out and get yourself uh, some uh, Weesey Flies. Weesey Flies, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.